Oh, I'm getting set up here. If you want to go ahead and uh, turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to go through most of the chapter today. Um, and as he said, I'm Gary from Elm Street Baptist Church. Got my family here, and I'm thankful that they uh, came here with me. Um, I've preached before, but it's been a while. And uh, last time I did it, uh, I thought it was going to be like half hour. It ended up being like 15 minutes. So honestly... Cannot tell you for sure how long this is going to be. We'll see. Um, uh, but since that time, I've spent more time uh, studying the Word um, and spending more time with, with God. And I, I, I'm thankful for the work that He's done in my life uh, in equipping me for serving Him. Um, and I'm thankful for the opportunity here today to come and, and share the Word with you. It's always a blessing to be able to preach the Word of God. And so I pray it's as much a blessing to you as it is to me. And so before we begin, I'll go ahead and open, open us up into prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you uh, today, that we can gather together in your name, uh, and that we can read your word. And we thank you for the word that you've given us, that uh, we can know who you are and, and what it is that, that you love. Lord. We pray that as we get into your word today, that you will lead our hearts and our minds uh, to be conformed to what you want, Lord, uh, that we seek to serve you in our lives according to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're going to read verses 3 through 21. I'm going to start off just by reading verses 3 through 5. Uh, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We read here that we have a living hope, and we have an imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance. And we have a salvation that will be more fully revealed in the last time. Here Peter's reminding the church that their true home and their true inheritance is not here and is not now, but it's there and it's then when Christ comes back. And the people in the church at this time had what you may call a disadvantage, but I say it could be an advantage, that the world they were living in was not kind to them. They, as Christians living in the Roman Empire, and uh, it's most likely that this letter was written under the reign of Nero, who was not good at all. Uh, they faced uh, uh, being uh, cast out from society. They were, in, in fact, because they only worshiped one God, they were known as atheists and godless. Society wanted nothing to do with them, uh, and uh, under Nero, many Christians were even uh, burned at the stake, or they were hung up in gardens and lit as lamps, um, just because Nero thought it was fun. And while this seems like a disadvantage, I say it could be an advantage because it's easier for them to remember that this was not their home. As for us, we live in comfort. Here we are gathered today without fear that anything like that is going to happen to us. And so we more easily find comfort here than, than they did. Um, and so he's just reminding them it's not their home. And of course, that's something they, they had to cling to because they were facing such trials. And that's what we'll get into in the next few verses here, verses six through seven. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested gen genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We see here that the trials, they might be necessary. 
and is to test the genuineness of our faith. And it says here that the genuineness of our faith is more precious than gold. Gold perishes, but a genuine faith does not. We don't want to put our faith in things of this world that perish, but in the salvation we've been given by Christ that stands for all eternity. And as our faith is tested, the genuineness is tested, it results in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Christ. This is our goal here on this earth. When Christ has saved us from this world, our goal is to praise him, glorify him, and honor him in all that we do. Amen. And we will experience trials. Christ promised that those who fall in will experience trials, and some more than others. As I mentioned, the people here that the letter was written to were experiencing far greater trials than we were, but we're not without trial either. But when we face these trials, we want to make sure that these trials are working towards our refinement. Because, as it said, that uh, the trials are to test the genuineness of our faith and to refine our faith. We've experienced comfort here in this country, and I'm thankful for it. But I fear that, at times, it has been at the expense of the refinement of our faith. We've become so comfortable that uh, we forget that this is not our future home. We will not live here forever. And in this country, the, the comfort that we've had, that again, I'm very thankful for, we see many places. Now, of course, there's still very true church here that I'm thankful for, but there are many churches that have grown up in this country that have mangled and perverted the gospel. There are many people who have preached that the gospel is about money or health. It's about politics or it's about good feelings. And it's not about sinners who will go to hell without the saving blood of Jesus. And if they don't hear that true gospel, there is no change. The, like you said, the theme here today is that Jesus changes our heart. If we don't understand that our heart needs changed, what's the point? And so we need to make sure that we're not getting so comfortable that we're seeing this as our future home. And as we uh, look for the future home, that affects our life here today as well. So we'll go into verses 8 through 9. It says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It says here that we have not seen him in this life fully. Now we've experienced him as he's worked in our hearts if we've, if we've come to know him and place our faith in him. But we haven't seen the full revelation of his glory that will come at the end. Yet we still believe and we still rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Knowing that the future kingdom will come, that affects how we live today. Because we're living for that future kingdom. When we're believing and rejoicing, we're receiving the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. When Christ has saved us, it produces in us a joy and a belief that is, uh, as it says, it's inexpressible and it's filled with glory. Not inexpressible in that we can't express it, but inexpressible that it's so great there's no way to fully express how great it is. And if, if that's the case, that's going to affect everything we do in this life. We're not only saved from hell, but we're also saved from this perishing earth and into an eternal home. Before we were living in a world that is going to perish one day, but when Christ comes and, and saves us, we're now living for a kingdom that will stand for eternity. And even though we're still here on this earth, that will not stand forever. We still live for the kingdom that's coming. 
And we have an even greater reason to rejoice in the Lord than any Old Testament prophet, king, judge, or patriarch. As we read here in verses 10 through 12, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It is revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that, the, that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The salvation of man is something so great even angels long to, to fully understand. They can't comprehend it. But even pointing to the Old Testament uh, writers, the prophets and the judges, they did not fully understand who Christ was, but they knew that God had promised to come and Savior. And their entire life was lived in accordance of knowing that there was a Savior to come, even though they didn't know who he was. And yet we know who he is now. They predicted and rejoiced in Christ even without having the full picture. And they were serving us to whom Christ has been fully revealed. If they rejoiced in the truth of God without the clear revelation of Christ, how much more should we because we now have the clear revelation of Christ? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and even all the way down to Moses, none of them entered the promised land. And only Moses saw it, but he never entered. But they lived their whole lives according to the fact that God had promised that they, they would one day enter the land. That their, their offspring would enter the land. In the same way, in this world, we will not see the full glory of Christ until he comes. Or until we die and are, are taken up to heaven. But even then, our whole life now is lived according to the fact that we know that we one day will see him. And that we one day will be in his presence. And yet, they had even uh, less information about Christ than we do now. He's fully revealed himself. So it should be even easier for us to fully rejoice in him knowing that that he's coming in the end. And the prophets never saw the restoration of Jerusalem or the arrival of the Messiah that they themselves prophesied, but they set their hope on the grace to come. Their whole life, as I said, was, was lived knowing that there was a Savior that was going to come, and that, that affected everything they did. Many of them even gave up their lives because of it. So now we go to verse 13. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're to prepare our minds for action and set our hope on the grace to come. Right here where it says preparing your minds for action, some translations may say gird up the loins of your mind. Uh, it depicts someone tying up their clothes ready to uh, do some kind of physical activity. A modern equivalent could be something like roll up your sleeves because it's time to work. So we're to prepare our minds action in serving God. Let's not let our minds go to waste focusing on the things of this world. And not to say that there aren't things in this world that are important that we need to focus on. God's commanded us to be good citizens. God's commanded us to be uh, leaders in our family or, or servants in our family. Uh, but all of that should be done in service to him. All of that should be done looking forward to the fact that Christ is going to come and renew this world. Let us serve God joyfully in anticipation of his return. Just like the Old Testament prophets served him knowing that he would come one day. Now we get to verses 14 through 19. And this is the, the central part here that I'm focusing on. It says, As obedient, cheerful, or as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We read here that we're no longer slaves to former ignorance and futile ways, but instead we're purchased by the blood of Christ, which is not like perishable things like silver or gold, but is eternal. And the focus now is on being holy and fearing God rather on worldly things. I'll say in 2016 through 2019, I was really into politics. I'd say probably even addicted. And in fact, during the 2016 election, I would see posts on Facebook saying, no matter who wins, Jesus is still king. No matter who's on the, whoever's in the Oval Office, Jesus is still on the throne. And I actually thought to myself that I was like, that's true, but that's not really relevant. And if I could go back and smack myself, I would, because that was stupid. That's the most relevant thing ever. The, it didn't matter who was going to be in the office. Jesus was sitting over all of creation. Amen. And so in late 2019, I got up. I got into the Bible more than I had. And I read a book called Jesus Freaks that was put together uh, by a band called DC Talk. And I read about people who were beaten, imprisoned, banished from family, beheaded, burned alive, laid naked on a frozen lake, and many other horrific things, all for their faith, and they did not waver. And I thought, here I am complaining that my taxes might go up. And if I'm being honest, that was pathetic. And one of these martyrs, with such a man as William Tyndale. You may have heard of him. He was killed for translating the Bible into English. We need to be thankful for that. He was strangled to death and his body burned at the stake so that you and I could have direct access to the word of God. They didn't want him to translate it into English because that was the common man's uh, language. And I thought, you know, my Bible was being opened maybe once a week. This man died so that I could have one that I could read. And I remember seeing a video on Twitter as well that there were uh, these people in China gathered in a room. They open up a suitcase full of Bibles and they just rush toward it and they're grabbing them and they're kissing them. They're so glad to have a Bible in their hands. And I'm like, most of us here, we've probably got plenty. I had plenty on my shelf and many of them, they're just collecting dust. So I thought, here we are complaining about the political state of our country, which, by the way, will not stand for eternity. And these people, they're focused on eternity, and they're going through a lot more than we are. And so I was addicted to politics, but as Christ worked on my heart, he gave me a passion for him and not of this world. And I'm going to be honest, nowadays, I don't really care that much to talk about politics a lot. Now, there are things that are important. Like I said, Christ calls us to be good citizens. We need to... Uh, to do our part to try and better the country. But I could have talked for hours about politics, and nowadays that would bore me to death. But I could talk about Jesus all day long. Amen. When we focus too much on, on things of this world, we run into some problems. And I noticed two things, and I was, on, I was on one of these. It seems that the liberal Christians are so concerned with helping others in this life that they forget that our helping is to display the love of Christ. How helpful is it to feed a poor man if we do not share with him the only Savior that can keep him from hell? 
And on the other hand, and this is where I was, it seems that conservative Christians are so concerned with conserving the values upon which our great country was founded, and that's a noble cause, but that they've completely forgotten that this world is not our home anyway. What good is it if we create and preserve for ourselves and others a country that protects and honors freedom only for the citizens to have a more comfortable ride to hell? And I'll say this, whether or not the election was stolen, I say it's quite possible. It was God's will for Biden to be in office. And I know this because he's there. And no amount of election fraud could have undone God's will. And I'm not saying that he's a good leader, because I'll, I'll admit it seems like he's trying to prove otherwise. But that just might be the point. When I came in here, I saw these quotes, and I thought these, are, these go along so great with what, what I'm talking about today. This Thomas Jefferson one here, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. Amen. That might be the point to what's going on. <coughs> Things are going bad, and if we look at the way the country's gone, it seems like we've called it upon ourselves. <coughs> this past year, we've seen so much. Viruses, hurricanes, overbearing government to the point that there are now underground churches in Canada. Something I never thought I'd see. But I believe God's bringing upon us, bringing all this upon us to remind us this world is not our home. We've gotten too comfortable here. And God is working to purify his church and shake this world-centered mindset from us. The church in America has become too short-sighted, and we will not find healing by getting like-minded people into office, as was my focus before. It may not be God's will to heal this country, but if it is, then it will only be found when we stop clinging so tightly to it and we place our hope back in God and no longer in men. And if it's not his will to heal this country, he's continuing to purify his church. And let us be found as those who are growing in Christ. Let us be found as those who are letting the trials that come upon us be something that purifies us, something that strengthens our faith and tests the genuineness of our faith, which as mentioned before in the scripture here is more valuable And as in verse 6, our holiness is far more important to God than our comfort, our pleasure, and yes, even our freedom. And this Abraham Lincoln quote I thought was good for this as well. My concern is not whether God is on our side. My concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. We want to make sure that we're on God's side no matter what. Amen. A quote I really like, and I believe the pastor that says this is Bodhi Bowden. He says that a lot of times it seems like that uh, Christians here in this world are rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. If we're focused so much on the things of this world and making this world better, we're losing focus because this world's not going to stand forever. And I think it's a good analogy for the world, the Titanic is, because the whole story of the Bible talks about how God saves us from a fallen and falling world, saves us from sinking in our sin. And ending up in hell. I think we've forgotten a lot of times what the gospel really is. We're all sinners. We're all deserving of hell. But so that God can be just, but also let us free. He became a man and paid the debt that we owe. We have just to repent, turning from our sin, turn to him, put our trust in him. We will inherit eternal life, which starts now, but exists in the future world. 
of verses 20 through 21. It says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. When we placed our faith and trust in God, our hope is no longer in anything of this world. It's in God. And that's the only thing worth putting our faith in. Because as I said before, this world's fallen away. This world is not going to last forever. And as I mentioned before, there are things that we need to do to try and better this world. But if that is our focus, we're not in the right place. Our focus needs to be on eternity. Amen. So I've never done an invitation. But if you haven't placed your faith and trust in Christ, come on. Or if God's been working in your heart, or if you just need prayer, come on up here and I'll, I'll, I'll pray with you. Just give me a minute to think or pray to yourself. If you will turn your hymnals to page number 100, or I'm sorry, 366. 366. Psalm is entitled, I Surrender All. And for what our message this morning, we have to be willing to do that. And that's the hard part. But that's what God calls us to do. To realize what Gary says, he is in control of all things. We want to have control ourselves, but we got to give it up to God. Stand with me and let's sing if you will. I surrender all.